Well, this uh, section of God's Word is, uh, I think, one of the most illuminating examples of uh, human psychology that you will find. I uh, honestly believe that if you want to understand humans, just read the book of Genesis over and over and over again, and you will uh, get a good understanding of, of what makes us work, what makes us tick, all of the various types of personalities and how it unfolds. And uh, what you have here is a very interesting story of how God uh, determined that Jacob would receive preference. You see, uh, there's a promise, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. But when God makes a promise, as he does, the circumstances that lead to the fulfillment of that promise are quite remarkable. Just like when he spoke to Joseph and said that your, your parents and your brothers will bow down to you, that is a promise. But look at what took place for that promise to be realized. God has given you many promises. He's promised you glory. But what will it take for glory to be realized? No different than Jacob. No different than Joseph we will find many details, not all of them happy details, on our path to the fulfillment of many promises. Now, in Jacob and Esau, you have uh, what we might call a mommy's boy versus a daddy's boy. And uh, some of you may have grown up and you were mommy's boys. Some of you may have grown up, you were daddy's boys. I perfected both, to be honest. Uh, My mother and my father uh, both loved me. Um, and uh, I have witnesses of that fact. Now, it is interesting because the text earlier on in chapter 25 moves from trust to distrust. So if you look at how Genesis is flowing, you'll see that the trust element uh, involving the servant in chapter 24, uh, he is trusted with finding a wife. So... Isaac needs a wife, and Isaac uh, is entrusting someone else. But then it moves to distrust with Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Esau. And they did not trust God, and so they did not trust each other. And I think what you find is Isaac starts to repeat the sin of Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 26, uh, you will see that, that what Abraham had did regarding his wife, Isaac does regarding his own wife. The sins of children sometimes are fulfilled in quite significant ways that are reflected in their parents. Now, what you find is that Isaac and Abraham both had more confidence in a lie than they did in God when it came to preserving themselves. And these things start to work themselves out now in how they conduct themselves. Rebecca hears what God has said, but she even resorts to lies regarding her husband. And Isaac couldn't trust Rebecca or his children. So even in chapter 27, verse 21, we read, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Esau and Jacob had little confidence in God. They had little confidence in other. Isaac and Rebekah have little confidence and trust in each other. It's an absolute mess of distrust in a family. 
Nobody can believe anything. And it gets worse as Genesis unfolds. Now, in chapter 25, we'll just look at some of these details briefly before getting to chapter 27. But Isaac, uh, at least to some extent, remains a man of prayer. You see that in verse 21. He is an intercessor on behalf of his wife. And this barrenness of Rebecca's is not a trial that should produce anxiety in her, but an opportunity for God's grace. And that is another important lesson with these types of trials. But you see very clearly, verse 23, the older will serve the younger. And Esau is a hairy monster, and you have a heel clutcher. And that is what comes out from the womb of their mother. Now, uh, in verse 26, you will notice that uh, afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. We will read of uh, Isaac's age being 60, 100, and later on a different age when he dies. But what is important in chapter 25 is Esau selling his birthright. So you have the characters of Isaac and Rebekah and now Jacob and Esau. So Abraham dies when the boys are about 15. And in verse 27, we see that they are both covenant children and they would have learned lots from their grandfather, I imagine. And Esau is described as a skillful hunter, which actually is an unfavorable description in terms of Genesis so far. It's described of Nimrod. Uh, It doesn't mean that that actual profession is something bad, but it's not a good sign. Um, It's better to be called a shepherd, at least in Genesis. So uh, we're getting some insight into Esau and Jacob. And you'll notice in verse 27 that Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. But then a significant verse. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Uh, One of the young men in the church uh, before I was... We were about to worship, uh, was uh, saying that there's something wrong with the sermon title. And that's very impressive because the sermon title is not Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. It is Esau I loved, but Jacob I hated. And uh, that all depends upon whose perspective. So, from the perspective of God, he is saying, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. But in this particular narrative, you have a reverse of that from the perspective of Isaac. And the question is, why? Why does Rebekah love the one and Isaac love the other? Now, I think when it comes to Isaac, we can say that Isaac, in verse 28, gives us the answer. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Now, that uh, tasting there, that eating, is not good. And I'll tell you why. Because we read it with Adam, we read it with Noah, and now we read it with Isaac, and it's never a good context. So he loved him because he ate of his game. There was an indulgent type of love here, a self-indulgent type of love. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, did she love Jacob because he was a mommy's boy who hung around her? Or did she love Jacob because she believed the promise? That's an interesting question. Now, as this uh, continues to unfold, you'll notice in verse 29 how 
Uh, Isaac is all about uh, immediate, immediate satisfaction, just like Esau. So when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Now notice, Isaac and Esau are very similar. Esau said to Jacob, I need to eat. I'm exhausted. And remember what Jacob says. Well, Jacob is clever. Jacob is cunning. Jacob is deceitful. He sees Esau at his weakest and asks for his birthright. Esau, who is hungry, overstates just how hungry he is. You know, before little children said to you, I'm starving, there was Esau. You know? But isn't that funny about how human beings are? How when we're a little bit hungry, how the world starts to just unravel? We have that word, hangry where you just don't think straight. You don't think right. Esau has lost his ability to think straight because he has not eaten. And a lot of times when you want to see people at their worst, it can be coupled with sometimes hunger and starvation. It will make you do crazy things, even a little bit of hunger. And that's what Esau does. But don't think this is some neutral thing, like, oh, poor Esau was just hungry. No, Esau was a wicked man. He despised his birthright. And you see in verse 31, Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Uh, I tend to think Jacob is showing a little bit of a lack of hospitality here towards his brother. His brother comes in really hungry. He doesn't say, oh yeah, you want something to eat? You know, like a normal family life? No, sell me your birthright now. This is exploitation. And that's what Jacob's good at. And guess what will happen to Jacob? He will be exploited. You see that? He exploits his brother. Where does Jacob go? Laban. What happens to Jacob? He gets exploited. What does Jacob do? He tricks his brother. What happens to Jacob? Oh, behold, in the morning, it's Leah. He gets tricked. What Jacob does to others ends up happening to himself. So when you sin, by way of just a small point of application in the middle of the sermon, you better be careful because you need to say, do I want this to also happen to me, what I may be doing to someone else? Because God has all events under His control, and sometimes the way He teaches us a lesson is by putting our sin back upon ourselves, And that happens in Jacob's life. So, godless Esau, as the author of Hebrews says, sells his birthright. So that's some of the context. That's how this all unfolds. Now you get to chapter 27 then. Isaac is... 100 years old, and he is apparently about to die, except for a small detail that you may have picked up if you were reading Genesis chapter 35 in your uh, devotions last night. Uh, if you weren't in Judges, maybe you're in Genesis 35. And if I suppose I kept on preaching, I'd finally catch one of you in somewhere in the Bible, right? Well, he lived another 80 years. So he thought he was about to die, and yet here he is. But what is interesting is that he is blind, not just physically, but spiritually. That's what the next chapter will bring out. And death appears to be imminent for him. It is not. But then notice in verses 3 and 4 what he is concerned about. Go and get me some food. Food that I love. Right before he's about to die, at least as he thinks he's about to die, he's concerned with food. So this is what Isaac is all about. Now, Rebekah and Jacob then come onto the scene. In verse 5, Rebekah, who understands the promise, 
takes matters into her own hands. So she knows there's a promise, but she's going to figure out how to make the promise a reality. That can also be a dangerous thing. Christians can actually do a lot of things that they will justify in the name of God, but they will take matters into their own hands. So that's what makes Rebecca's actions so deplorable. So she was listening. In other words, Rebecca and Isaac did not discuss things together. There's a lot of hints about their unhappy marriage, by the way, in the text. Verses 5 and 6, you have his son versus her son. You see that? Verse 5, 6. She was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Not their son Esau. Because Isaac loves Esau. It's his son. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob. You see how the boys are being identified explicitly with one of the parents. And then We read, bring me, verse 7, game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. And this blessing will be irrevocable. Now, if you look at verse 8, now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. You learn something about Rebecca. She's quite a strong character. I think she's the head of the family in some respects at this point. So she's the godly woman in chapter 24 who pours water for the camels. But make no mistake, this is not a pushover. Don't know if any of you might know about this. Uh, You can be a godly woman and not be a pushover. You can be a godly man and have deceitful aspects. That's the thing about the Bible that's somewhat comforting and somewhat disturbing. (laughs) We call them in modern parlance a POW. (laughs) You know, that person's a POW, a piece of work. And it can happen to probably about 50% of us in here, right? We're massive pieces of work. Rebecca is a piece of work, okay? And so is Isaac. And so is everyone. I think to get into the book of Genesis, you have to be a piece of work. So what's her plan? You see in verses 9 to 10, Go to the flock, bring me two good young goats, and I'm going to get down to work. Because I know what your father loves, and you bring it to your father to eat, and he will bless you before he dies. You've probably seen my big fat Greek wedding. This is my big fat Greek wedding, you know, where the the father is the head, but the woman says, yes, but we are the neck, and the neck determines which way the head goes. This is kind of what's happening. She is plotting how this is all going to unfold. But then one of my favorite verses in all of God's Word, because there's actually quite significant truth here but Jacob said to Rebekah his mother behold my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man there's a problem here (laughs) and Jacob maybe doesn't have the experience that his mother has though he's very much like his mother he's not at her level he needs to learn her ways to get to her level And he says, perhaps my father will feel me. And the next thing, instead of getting a blessing, I'm going to be cursed. But notice Rebecca says to him, don't worry, son. You think I haven't thought of this? You think I don't know one's hairy and one's smooth? Let first your anxieties be placed on me. Let the curse be on me, my son. Just obey my voice and bring them to me. There's so much emphasis on obeying, obeying, obeying. Rebecca's deceitful plan. And so Jacob is not concerned about 
the morality of the issue, but rather the feasibility of the issue. He's not saying, hey, I shouldn't be doing this. He's like, how am I going to get away with it? You know, how am I going to rob the bank? Not that it's wrong, but how am I going to rob the bank? Surely they're going to do something. That's the idea here. He wants this blessing, and he wants it illegally. So, verse 14. They went and took them and brought them to his mother. So, he went and took them and brought them to his mother, not to her husband. He's going through the mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. You see how many emphasis there is upon him loving food, loving food, loving food. You should be in no doubt about where Isaac's heart is. It is with food. The way to a man's heart is through his belly. That is Isaac. He is indulgent. So then Rebekah takes the best garments of Esau and does her thing. Now, look at Isaac and Jacob in verse 18. They come into the forefront very clearly. He went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Now, in verse 32 of the same chapter, the same words are used by Esau. I am Esau, your firstborn. He knew how to introduce himself as Esau. He's learning quickly from his mother. But then Isaac asks a question, and I tend to think that Isaac is aware that something is up, but because of the emphasis upon him loving food so much, he has had his spiritual senses clouded by his physical senses, and so he's almost willing to let it go as long as he can just justify that he's not doing something wrong. So he might know he's doing something wrong, but hey, he said he was Esau. So he's absolving himself of guilt. Now notice, Isaac said, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He knows something's up. And if he just had the faith and trust in God that he should have had, he would have been able to just take a deep breath and figure out what was going on. But then notice what his son Isaac does, uh, Jacob does. He says, because the Lord your God granted me success. What does he do to a lie? Now, this is very important for you to understand. When you lie, you can then actually compound that lie by blasphemy. Because he lied, now he has to say God was behind his success. So a lie leads to a greater lie. In this case, a lie led to blasphemy. And then in verse 26, you will see something quite worrying that you will find later on in God's word. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. And so Jacob, pretending to be Esau, betrays his father with what? A kiss. Uh, you know, sometimes I read Genesis, I just think, wow. Like the, every verse, every word, every little idea. The fact that that happened to our Lord by Judas and that just little detail there that Moses wrote. Whether he knew what he was writing or not, I don't know but he betrayed with a kiss. Now we get to Jacob or Esau and Isaac in verses 30 to 40, and things start to get a little bit out of control because in verse 30, after the blessing is received, 
uh, Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting, and he did the same thing. Now, Jacob later prays for a blessing from God because he doesn't actually trust what he's gained by deception. So if you look at chapter 32, verse 26, he later prays for a blessing from God. When you get something by deception, it never feels as good. There's this uh, reel on social media, how to turn your F into an A and how to turn bad grades into good grades. And you can do all sorts of things with your pen, right? And you take it home. I did this once. I'll be honest. I did. I got a 58 in French, okay? And I turned it to an 88. And the problem was, I didn't get an 88. So when I said I got an 88, I knew I didn't get an 88. It didn't feel good. But then when I actually did really do well, and I came home with a good test score, I felt so good about it. It's just not the same feeling. Because when you cheat, you don't trust you start to think of everyone else as untrusting and you can't enjoy anything. When you lie, you can't enjoy anything. Sin leads to misery. So, he doesn't seem to believe this. And then verse 32. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? Imagine being your father's beloved child. Imagine being your father's favorite Imagine being the one your father loved and you come to your father one day and he doesn't know who you are because of what has happened. This must have been terrifying for Esau. And he says those exact words that Jacob had already said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac, of course, knows and he trembles violently. And I think he knows because he actually knew. So when he knows now, he knows that, yeah, he knew before. And so he's implicated in this whole sordid case. But I also want to see something of Rebekah and Jacob. If you just go down to verse 41 to 45, you see that Esau's hatred is actually very much like Cain's hatred towards his brother. And so the themes start to pick up again. And Rebekah actually loses a lot through this. She loses her relationship with Esau whatever was left of it. She never sends for Jacob again, never sees him again, and she loses her memorial in Scripture in Genesis 35, verse 8. Rebecca was a godly woman, but she didn't end well. And she doesn't come out as a Joseph-like figure or a Daniel-like figure when she could have. In other words, someone can be a Christian, but they can actually make some very bad decisions in their life and sort of ruin their memory. And that happens to Rebecca. But also Rebecca and Isaac, if you just look at the last verse in verse 46, Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite woman. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Now, I hope I'm not reading too much into this verse, but it seems to me, and some commentators agree, that this is definitive proof that Rebecca was in an unhappy marriage at this point. Look at how her life is. If Jacob, this happens, what good is my life? There's nothing good about her life in terms of her relationship with Isaac. They've got nothing going for each other anymore. They've, they've deceived so much against each other. It's a complete breakdown of the marriage. 
So what I'm trying to say in chapter 27 is you have human beings taking matters into their own hands. It leads to division, it leads to mistrust, and it leads to an ultimate breakdown of a family. Now, a few points of application before we close. The first is this. Isaac and Rebekah showed favoritism. That much is clear. But it was driven by self-indulgence. And that's something that can happen to parents. It can happen to us in the workplace. It can happen to us in all levels. It can happen in the church. A lot of times you can show favoritism to someone because that person is meeting a specific need of yours. Not because you care about that person, but what that person can do for you. So what lessons did these parents teach their children? Those are questions that have to be asked. What do our children do that look like a repeating of our sins? Because that is precisely what happens in this narrative. The children start to carry out the same sins as the parents. And sometimes you see your child do something and you go, how could they have learned that? And then you can say, well, we're all born in sin. But there's two types of sins. There's original sin, but then there's also learned sin. It springs from original sin, but learned sin is something a little bit different. It is a type of sin that is trained in a household so that a person starts to know how to make use of their sin. It's like a training of a talent, but for nefarious purposes. And Rebekah is deceitful. Jacob is deceitful. Isaac is sensual. Esau is sensual. Look at your sins in your life. Look at your children's sins and deal with them. They didn't deal with them and it destroyed a family. And you see that what goes around does come around. You know how there's sometimes these things, uh, verses you don't find in the Bible and that will be one of them. What goes around comes around. Or, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Uh, That's not in the Bible. But actually a, a lot of the truths behind that is in the Bible. In fact, God helps those who help themselves was first coined by Matthew Henry. I know, it wasn't recent. It was Matthew Henry, if you can believe that. But here, you have what goes around, comes around. Jacob deceives, and as I said earlier, then he is deceived. And Jacob will be deceived by clothes. You just have to go to chapter 37. Jacob's deceived in almost the exact same way. Jacob mourns the loss of his youngest son due to the deceit of his older sons. That had happened, remember, with Joseph. It happens here. But then finally, as we conclude, I just want to pick up on this one theme that seems to me to be quite important. And it leads to the supper. That if you want to be blessed by your Father in heaven, if you want to be blessed by God, you actually have to go in the garments of your older brother. And it's such an interesting twist on how Jacob goes in the garments of his older brother to receive the blessing and does it deceitfully, but God actually calls us to do that very thing without deceit by going in the garments of Christ our older brother, to God. The only way God is going to bless you is by going to Him in the garments of your older brother. And that is the Lord. And that is what you have to do. 
And so there's a sense in which Rebecca understands. She gets the promise. She wants to see it fulfilled. But her error was taking matters into her own hands. The gospel is taking matters out of your own hands and relinquishing everything to God. And you only do that when you go to God in Christ, not in yourself. And Rebecca is a sign of every type of Christian who tries to justify themselves before God. And yet God still, in the end, manages to bless these people, but not without some very painful lessons. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this sordid story of deceit, of lack of trust, of payment for sin. And yet, in all of this, you still remain faithful to your promise. In all of this, despite the worst that we can do, you still do your best and you bless Jacob, albeit through many trials that come, you make him to a man of God. And we pray, O Lord, that if we have been deceitful and cunning in our own way, you will deal with us and make us to be true children of God, pure in heart, and knowing that we come before you in the garments of Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.